Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. All righty, here we go. So, um, so what I wanted to talk to um, you all about today is desire. And <laughs> it's such a hard topic. You know, I got really nervous and real, <laughs> I really do. So, um, in fact, I wrote a bunch of stuff and then I, through that, put that aside and I came up with another Dahmer talk and then I wasn't happy with that. So I came back to my original one because I was beating around the bush with the other one. <laughs> so here we are. Um, so, uh, so what is desire? What is desire and what makes it so darn difficult to talk about or to, to deal with? Um, and more specifically is how do we practice with it? Um, so desire, general definition, we all know this, a strong feeling of wanting to have something or wishing for something to happen. So there are all kinds of desire, all kinds of wants that we humans have. There's no lack of them. Um, there's a desire that motivates us in many important ways. We have a physical desire that is, and it's based on survival, hunger and thirst. We desire to eat, we desire to drink something. It's an important desire. We have intellectual desire, which in short is our curiosity. And that drives us to do more study, for example. Um, there's economic desire, which is this consumer desire. We want this and we want that. What keeps our whole economic system going. Um, and then, of course, there's sexual desire, lust, and that's probably the one that's the most difficult to talk about and, and practice with. There's also another form of desire, which is um, uh, spiritual desire, which according to, I took this from the Bible, but it could be taken from anything that's written on our website. <clears throat> it's the longing to know the eternal, that which is beyond all limitations beyond the province of the five senses, and even death. It's the impulse that compels us to seek out prayer, meditation, and contemplation, and surrender. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. So while we look at desire oftentimes as this really scary thing, it's also the other side, too. It's There's some that can lead you down a it's not that sexual desire necessarily will lead you back down a bad path. It can, depending on how you practice with it, or it can open to a big heart. Or, um, yeah, so, so, so it can go either way. It also leads us into a, a, a broader life and, and wanting to know things, wanting to take care of ourselves, wanting to take care of other people. So it's both sides, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So it's more complicated than we might think. So, as I say, I wanted to focus on the red thread, so the passion. So it's a very strong energy. So, 
in some of our older older Buddhist texts, the Theravadan texts, there's um, there was a big concern about the the, the um, young monks. You know, they had a lot a lot of um, testosterone probably. And so what was, you know, we wanted to have, we want to have in our practice, a clear mind. And so what do you do with this desire? So originally there was a lot of discussion about the body and the body having pus and blood, and, you know, all this looking at the more what you might consider disgusting parts of the body so that they would kind of revile the body and not get into trouble with being overly stimulated and so forth. And so that didn't work out very well. And so the Buddha realized that and said, okay, stop all that because people monks were mutilating themselves with this. You don't want to go that far. So we're going to back up on this and just kind of say, okay, we need to be keeping clear minds. What do we do to take care of that? Um, and if it is a realization, it's really important to contain this energy, but but not in that strong of a way. Okay, so uh, I want to go to uh, chapter 10 in Diane Rosetto's book. Sorry, uh, Joel, it's like he may have went. Okay. Because um, that's part of this preset class. But I think it's important in, in, in terms of this talk. So in Diana Rosetto's book, Waking Up to What You Do, which is the we're using for precepts, um, the author discusses the precept, I take up the way of engaging in sexual intimacy respectfully and with an open heart. So here's the other side, you know, instead of some you know, rampage or this is the ethical way to deal with this kind of energy. So she talks about how our emotions and thoughts can, can uh, be taken over by sexual desire. And it starts with this biochemical reaction in the body that, that actually drives all life. And then it quickly falls into sensations, desires. Isn't this like everything else, like all of our emotion states, sensation, desire, fantasy. And then there's wishes that can lead us into deep intimacy or escapism, or even brutal abuse of others. So that's there's one side and then there's another side. There's this open, open heart thing, and then there's other, it could lead the other direction if it's not totally well. So because it's so powerful, and there's so much confusion around it, it's no wonder that there have been cautions since the beginning of time about behavior, sexual behavior, and it's been stressed for anyone who wants to clarify the mind. Now, Tara Brock explains in her book, Radical Acceptance, Embracing Your Life in the Heart of the Buddha, she states that the Buddha never intended to make desire itself the problem never intended to make, to, to make desire itself a problem. When he said craving causes suffering, he was not referring to our natural inclination as living beings to have wants and needs. Right? We all have wants and needs. But to our habit of clinging to an experience that must, by nature, pass away. It's wanting to cling to it, right? So, and there are many times where we stumble and we fall around this stuff, become deluded and entangled. And sometimes we become overtaken by desire. And other times, which is just as, almost as bad, or maybe it's as bad, is we harden against it. So it's this resistance, no, you know, shutting things down. But ultimately, um, one realizes that 
key secret to this is actually learning how to relate to it wisely. Because <clears throat> it's powerful and a pervasive energy. But it's also a pathway into unconditional loving. So in um, Tara Brock's book, she describes being in, a, in an intensive and how she met somebody on the way on the train going to an intensive or retreat. And she found herself in the intention, thinking about this person so intently <laughs> and making up all these stories about, oh, and then we're gonna go, we're gonna go to the special retreat, we're gonna become soulmates, and then we're gonna get married. And, you know, so it's all this junk, you know, it's all these stories. Um, and that's, that's the whole issue is the story making. That's the problem. But we do that so much because, and that's where the confusion comes in with desire, I think, is that we have other needs that are not being expressed, like we're, we're lonely or we want to feel loved. And it's a very, um, there's nothing wrong with that. But when it gets confused with this desire, and there's, you're not really paying attention. Well, I don't even know that guy. You know, here I've already married him. And like, <laughs> we do this stuff, right? Um, so it's a matter of, of really getting in touch with what's, what's going on, what's arising, and so forth. So, um, so uh, let's see. <laughs> so, um, Tara Brock says, mindful breathing does not work. Does not work. Um, as images will come up, anyway. And so she was, she was trying that. And she, met, she met this guy and was creating all these ideas. And so this is this huge attraction. And then there's fantasy and all these plans and you know all this stuff. And so it just wasn't working, the, the breath. So, but then at some point, what, she, what happened to her is you come back to where you are. Come back to where you are, which in her case, she was in an intensive. At some point you realize, oh, okay, skip the whole story. Here am I. I'm right here. I'm at my house or in this end or where you are. And I'm... You know, and then what can happen is the other reaction to it is, oh, I feel so much guilt and shame. How could I be doing this? I'm supposed to have you know, clarity of mind. How can I go? So that's not too helpful either. Um, so, and you can feel really frustrated because you're lacking discipline, so forth. So, um, when we're in these daydreams, we fail to, to see all the beauty around us and to listen to the people around us. So we're cutting off actually when we're doing all this daydreaming and fantasizing. So when we come back to where we are, we can see the beauty, we can see the people around us, and we can appreciate what we have. And that may not be the, that's not the total end game, but that's a start of being where we are, being present. And you can also be present with what's going on. You can say, okay, I know I'm having these dangers. That's a good start in the right direction. That's what's going on here. And I don't have to repress it. And I don't have to just get into it and, and just, you know, really rev it up, but just be aware. 
And you can also, while you're being aware, say, oh yeah, I'm also aware to my present moment experience that this is a beautiful place, I'm with beautiful people. So um, when Tara Brock went to her teacher when all this was happening to her, um, her teacher very wisely said, how are you relating to the presence of desire? So how are you mm -hmm. dealing specifically with that? And she also said, stop finding the experience. Investigate the nature of one of the wanting mind. That's the ticket. What's, what is the nature of the wanting mind? Then you can accept whatever's going on, but without getting lost in it. So you can let some stuff go up, come up, but you're not lost in it. You're still, you still got an anchor here. <clears throat> so while desire is certainly uncomfortable, it is not bad, it's natural. So it's, as I mentioned earlier, it's the pull of the desire as part of our survival mechanism for eating. Keeps us eating and having sex and going to work and doing what we need to do to thrive actually. <clears throat> it motivates us to read books, explore spiritual practices that help us realize and inhabit it and have it loving awareness. So um, it's the same life energy that leads to suffering. It also provides the fuel for profound awakening. And this is, this is the, um, what I was going to say earlier. Yeah, that this is what is behind the longing to know the eternal. Going, starting to meditate, starting to contemplate, etc. So, the middle way teaches us to relate to desire without getting possessed by it and without um, without doing something else, <laughs> without resisting it. There it is. Not being possessed and not, not resisting. So, we're in the middle. So. So aliveness and wakefulness is what, what we long for. So we don't want to shut it down. And when we, because when we narrow it and fixate on something, this is when we're dealing with something that passes away. And that's the part that doesn't work. You're holding on to something, clinging to it. You're holding it still, which is not the way life is. It's not reality. Things are constantly moving, changing. So the practice. So we be present, we, we be present with our longing and we notice when the craving arises. Instead of hating the experience of losing self or losing ourselves into it to the swirl of mental activity, we let the body express itself and move, let it move through us instead of satisfying the craving. We pause and relinquish our physical and mental pursuit of satisfaction long enough to recognize how our identity has contracted into feelings and thoughts of a wanting self. I think that's a real important part. It's really paying attention to that, how our identity has contracted into feelings and thoughts of a wanting self. So in that pause, we get go, let go of any blaming there might be Oh, I would do the presence of wanting 
and kindly allow it to exist just as it is. So this is again like the Rumi, is it Rumi poem about inviting all the guests in in the morning and give them a cup of tea. And then we mindfully experience the sensations. This is the same practice that we do for, for anger, for example, or any of the difficult emotions, just to be with it and where is it in the body? What does it feel like? And experience that. And when being, while being wakeful and noting the emotions that are arising and the thoughts that are arising, all of it in the mind, all of it in the mind. And then when we're present in this way, we can be clear, we're clear-minded and compassionate. And we're not, we are not either grasping or resisting. And so if we can do this, we can undo the habitual patterns that we have of reactivity that keep our body, heart, and our mind bound and wanting. So it's a whole practice of dealing with wanting. How do we deal with wanting? And this is just one kind. So um, there is a little, I think we have time for it if people want to do this. There's a little guided meditation. Let me see if it seems appropriate. Um, okay, I think this will work. Um, so uh, we'll just do this together because there's so few. And um, and then if people want to share, they can or not, whatever. So um, it's a guided reflection, not doing when we feel driven by wanting. Okay, so this is part of the practice. Uh, while grasping, this is a description. So while grasping onto what we desire is part of our conditioning, it blinds us to our deeper longings and keeps us trapped in craving. Because again, this idea where, you know, we get all this, sexual bother about something we don't even know, um, when actually the longing is true, you know, the longing for love, or the longing for companionship, or whatever. So freedom begins when we pause and pay close attention to our experience. Okay, so here's the reflection. So reflect on an area of your life where you feel compelled by wanting mind. So it might be food, cigarettes, alcohol, sex, voicing critical remarks, computer games, work, or buying things. And this says do this for a week, but we're just going to do it right now. Um, to let your intention be to practice pausing when you feel the urge to enact that behavior. So, um, so, so just right now, think of something that you're compelled by by wanting, and it can be any of the things I mentioned earlier, food, cigarettes, alcohol, sex, critical remarks, computer games, whatever, work, buying things, consumerism. And just take a moment. And then see, see what arises when you start thinking about whichever one of these you're dealing with. So let's, let's say food, um, 
when you feel that urge. It's kind of hard to do it right now. That's why they say get the weed. But anyway, you could try it right now. And just see what comes up and see, see if you can find that pause. If you can become physically still and pay close attention to the nature of wanting. What does your body feel like when wanting is strong? Where do you experience the sensations of wanting most fully? Do you feel them as butterflies in the stomach, as agitation in the, in the chest, as aching in the arms? Do you feel as if you are leaning forward, tumbling into the future? Is your mind tight and speedy or sluggish and dull? Notice if your experience changes during the minute or so of pausing. You might ask yourself, what is missing right now? And listen with your heart. If following the pause, you move into the behavior, do so slowly and mindfully. See if you feel tension or excitement, self-judgment or fear. Notice with a clear and compassionate attention the sensations, emotions, and thoughts that may arise. So while we still might pursue what we want after the pause, at least we do so aware of some of the tension and suffering that lies under our desires. Because all experience keeps changing with time, time, even cravings that have felt irresistible can eventually dissolve. While desire naturally arises again, the wisdom of seeing that everything passing passes is liberating. Observing desire without acting on it enlarges our freedom to choose how we live. I think I'm through. There's another thing here too. I don't think we need to go into it. There's another one that, um, yeah, just we'll just leave it there. So anyway, that's what I have to say. Are there any questions or thoughts about any of this? Yeah. First, I want to thank you, Lori, for this talk. Um, secondly, I want to commend Tara Brock for her courage and openness and honesty, clarity mm -hmm. about what was going on because I hold her probably too much on a pedestal. <laughs> <laughs> and really love her talks. I'm like, oh my gosh, even Tara Brock is part of this collective multitude of one's connection in various ways. So, how lovely that you brought that into it. Yeah. What really struck me, and really I appreciate about talking about the paraphrase, because it really struck me, is how we constrict the fullness of who we are when we limit ourselves to a desire. Mm -hmm. How we box ourselves into a very small part of who we really and what we really are. Mm 
Mm -hmm. And I'm going to hold that image mm -hmm. um, as I desire different things. Yeah. And clean, not, not that, and, and thank you for that, that nuance, the clarity on that nuance. It's not desire that's the problem. Yeah. It's how we deal with it and how we hold it. And uh, whether or not we let it go if it's not constructive and life affirming. So, thank you. Thanks so much. Anyone else? Oh, so one of the things you said that really, uh, you know, resonated for me was clinging. Um, when you're clinging to something, it keeps it still. And basically, that's going against the, the way things are because nothing, everything's impermanent. And those two ideas just congealed when you said that. Mm -hmm. you know? So, and it also uh, resonates because desire is a wonderful life energy in and of itself. And you were saying that also. Um, you know, so many world religions have, you know, sort of taken wrong approaches to getting rid of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but this, the desire is so important. And it's, it's the grabbing on to the object of a desire that is what's unwholesome. Yeah. Because it goes against how things really are. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that just kind of makes sense. Yeah. And you said it. Oh, good. I'm glad. Mm -hmm. And the resisting, I think, is, is equally as bad because generally when you you try to resist them and squash them down, they're going to pop up somewhere else in a way that you probably don't mm -hmm. want. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah so interesting. Go ahead. Well, I've been thinking about um, loving kindness and desire and loving kindness for the part that keeps coming up. But this morning, um, someone wrote me, I was writing her about this, Nicole, you know, Nicole. Mm -hmm. And she wrote that she's been investigating what's the thought before the desire, what initiates the desire. Mm. And as I sat today, that was so neat to think of, of thoughts as being sequential rather than arbitrary. And I've thought all this time that my thoughts were just arbitrary, like this one came, this one. But I started like looking at, at that crack in the wall, and then all of a sudden I went to um, a time when I was climbing up a cliff wow. and then and then even an itch here and then I had a thought about food you know and and why did one thing lead to the other it was really interesting and and also a lot of these thoughts were I can identify back into my childhood and so that's going to be, I'm going to do loving kindness meditation in terms of, uh, in a couple of weeks, in terms of this connection between having loving kindness for the part that has the desire, mm -hmm. you know, and how that came. But, but I think it's, it's just fascinating how, I mean, I can look around the room and 
a desire or an attachment or a wish or something will come from anything I look at. Mm -hmm. and, and so this is not arbitrary stuff that's going on. <laughs> and that was kind of my, my dumb realization this morning. <laughs> That, that no one's making this stuff up. There's, it's one thing after another, that, and there, there's a, a reason why things and thoughts follow. So what is, how are we feeling at that, right before we have that desire, whether it's to eat or sex or whatever? That's, that's right, and I think that's what this pause thing is all about, is to- To consider that? To consider that and consider how we feel and, and all of it. You know, and because I think that that's the clue, and it's also the time when you can mm -hmm. alter your behavior, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because uh, I think our feelings have a big impact, or can have a big impact on what we do if we just go by our feelings. Sometimes we can get really do some crazy stuff. I love that stuff too. But yeah. Yeah. I was really struck by what's missing that that little phrase when she's she's talking about becoming aware of craving. Not just saying, oh, I do feel hungry or I'm looking at a piece of cake and I'm really appreciating that and I'm aware of wanting to consume that. What's missing? Is that does that answer uh, need that's not being expressed? Yeah. Um, um, and for me, I mean, I think I I eat a lot when I'm I know I eat a lot when I'm stressed in various ways, or when I'm bored. Mm -hmm. When I feel like I ought to be doing something, but I'm not doing something. So let's just have some lunch. Sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's real it's real interesting to to watch that stuff. I know I went through a process of that many years ago and I quit smoking. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, I didn't quit smoking then, but I or I did for a little while. It took a while and like that. But to watch what what's coming up at the moment, what and with cigarettes anyway. I know that a lot of it came from my anxiety mm -hmm. about being around people and being in difficult situations. And so I was, you know, I was creating a boundary. Mm -hmm. it was a, so it served that for me for mm -hmm. many years. And other things, it just was relieving that anxiety, giving some space. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but yeah, it's, it's real useful to, to look at that. Do I see a hand up there with Rosemary? I don't want to cut you yes, off, yeah. though. No, no, um, that's fine. Okay. I'm finished. Um, yeah, so along with what um, Anne said, you know, the what's missing when you pause. And for me, in the precepts course, um, that was like the hardest thing for me because it's it, TV is a big thing for me. And um, I did it for a little bit. I just, before, and, and I was interested in her direction to not not do it, but to sit as as you're about to do it and 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 do the pause then and um so i'm doing the precepts again and i'm working with it again um and um i was able to come up with some this year some really painful um needs you know uh, unfulfilled needs 
And um, so that that's been really helpful. And it's, you know, to work on it again and keep it open. Um, and the other piece of it is being so psychologically minded because of my work. I can also get not stuck in that, but um, lose the other piece that you mentioned, which was to look around you. Where are you? Listen, appreciate the beauty around you. So it's kind of, I like, I'm really glad you brought that in because it's a balance between understanding um, that your desire might be um, trying to receive some pleasure to kind of quell the pain. Yeah, and because I think desire is, you know, it's very, very connected with where can I get some um, self-medicate, basically, whatever this thing is going on. So I, I love adding the piece in of, well, well, where am I and appreciating everything to kind of balance out what you're learning? Because that's it's, you know, it's hard stuff what you're learning when you pause. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Rosemary. I think that's great. That's a great addition. I think these these patterns that we have are so hypnotic. You know, they, they puts us in a trance and then we're just gone. Mm-hmm. I think all the story story making we do, it's the same sort of thing. We just kind of immediately start making um, or having thoughts or convinced that we're right about something just by a glance looking at somebody and we make up a whole story about that person and what's going on, it's, you know, who knows. Um, but it's a hypnotic kind of thing to do. It's gonna put you in sort of a trance and it's about breaking that trance, I think, by pausing. Mm-hmm. Just give it a moment. And then, um, yeah. So thank you, thank you for that. Okay. All right, I think that's it. So we can um, do our chance and finish up. Yeah. Thank you.